Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we continue our series on the Gospel of John. Enjoy. We're continuing in our conversations in John here this morning. And the thing that, uh, the question that I posed last week is, is, is something to kind of, th- as we think this through a little bit, not just only from our own perspective, but also from the perspective of the way that people today wrestle a little bit, I think, with the whole idea that God is a loving God. Not that that's a bad idea. That's actually a really wonderful and good idea, all right? But the wrestling that often goes on in, in uh, different circles of people is, is the, big, the bigger question, and that is, if God is a loving God, why is there a hell? See, if God is a loving God, why, it, why do we have to have somebody like Jesus come and be our Savior? Why doesn't God, in His love, just save everybody? And that's a struggle, I think, that people today have. And so what we're dealing with, you raise your hand, is that because I'm not recording? Or Are you not recording? I am recording. Yes. No, I just wanted to, to add a comment on that. Oh, you're going to, and I have barely started, and you're adding a comment. So, so far away, Phil. Well, well one, like, one thing that was explained, uh, one way that uh, someone explained to me was the reason for the existence of a hell is that... With like, yes, God is a loving God, so what would make you want to think that he would want to force you to spend all eternity praising him in heaven if, if, if that's not, if you don't either believe in him or you don't want to be with him? Yeah. So that, that is what hell is, is where God is not, where, where there's the absence of God. Or at least the absence of God's love, I mean, in the sense of the activity of his love, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thought too. I hadn't even thought about it from that or heard that, that perspective. But see, that's the dilemma that a lot of people struggle with is, is how pervasive is his love? And in some sense, does he impose his love on people even if they don't want it? And you think, how in the world could somebody not want the love of God? Well, it may not be so much that People don't want the love of God as much as it is they don't want that that feeling of narrowing themselves to the way that God expresses his love. And see, that's what we're dealing with, what we're looking at in terms of John 3.16. Because in John 3.16, what what John says or what Jesus says is, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. See, and for a lot of people, that's the rub. Why can't it just be for God so loved the world that he saved the world without Jesus? Why does it, why do you have to go through Christianity? Why do you have to go through Jesus in order for you to receive that full expression of God's love in terms of salvation? That's the struggle. And so that's kind of the question that, that is kind of in front of us as we continue to work our way through Work, work our way through John 3. So I was, oh, okay, before we get to that, yeah, uh, uh, Keith. Yeah. Back in Exodus, Moses wanted to see the face of God. Yes. God told me he couldn't because he wasn't righteous. Yes. So in order for you to see, 
God and be with God, you have to be righteous. And the only way we can be righteous is through Jesus. That's right. Except that, that see, again, the dilemma is, why doesn't God's love just trump that? See, why does there have to be that extra requirement of righteousness? Now, we, from a Christian perspective, we get it. But from a, from a more of a worldly perspective, that's where the gap is. That's where, the, that's where the, the, the separation is in terms of that understanding. Okay? Yeah, Mark. Well, he gave us a free will. We have a choice whether to believe uh, or not. But I think God put into all of our hearts, what would, what would be the word, to want something. To want something. To want something. So <laughs> he is there, and it's a free gift, his grace. Yes. But he also gave us a free will to choose. Well, it, it's kind of a, it, uh, uh, and from, again, we kind of look through, or I do anyway, look through the Lutheran lens on that. And so it, there, is a free, there is a free will there, but it's always in response to what God already has done for me. It's not like I came into the world naturally wanting God, or at least naturally wanting the way that God presents himself to me, okay? So there's a little bit of the free will. For sure, the, the, the power that we have within us is to reject. He offers the free gift. I have the power to do what? say, no, I do have the power to do that. And very often, that's, the, that's the, at the heart of the battle, the spiritual battle that we fight, maybe even on some level every single day. So I was at my mom's house the other day, and I went by early, thinking that she would be an early riser. I could stop in. I could see her. Um, usually when I go over to mom's, my mom's house, I do a little uh, survey of the light bulbs in the house. Because my mom likes to have all the light bulbs on. She's, you know, she's by herself, and she likes to have a well-lit house. Well, of course, that means that the light bulbs are prone to do what? Burn out. And because I've already forbidden her to be on ladders, she'll be 91 coming up at the end of this month. I said, Mom, don't want you on ladders anymore, because if you fall off the ladder, one of two bad things is going to happen. One is is that you'll be in the hospital and no one will come see you because they'll be mad at you for being on the ladder. <laughs> After they told you a million times to not be on the ladder. So that's one bad thing that could happen. The other bad thing that could happen is your children will spend 24-7 with you lecturing you about how you should not have been on the ladder and I don't know which one would be worse. So she's been pretty good about it, but... I can't totally account for when I'm not there because I don't fully trust my mother. <laughs> so what I do when I put the ladder away is I put these little tricks around the ladder in the garage that only I know about. You know, like in the old James Bond movies, it's the same sort of thing. Put that thread across there kind of thing. Yeah, and then that way I can, you know, be sure if the... Uh, ladder got moved or not. So anyway, I went over to my mom's house and I was thinking that I would just like go in, but I couldn't get in because she has, I also have decreed to her that if you leave the house or if you go to bed at night, then make sure you lock, lock your door. So lo and behold, she actually listened to me. And this was one of those times when I couldn't get in, but 
I had my keys with me. So I was going through my keys and I was trying to remember which key it is on my key ring that would open up the, uh, the door to her house. So how many of you have a key ring that sort of looks like this that how has a lot of keys on it and you cannot remember which key goes to what lock, but you're hesitant to throw any of the keys away because you can't remember what lock it goes to and sure shooting, the one you throw away is gonna be the one that you need. So what do you do? You keep all the keys, right? So it was a warm morning as most of these have been and so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to get the right key and I'm trying all the keys and I wasn't really keeping track of which key I started with. <laughs> so I probably went through all the keys twice trying to remember and then I thought, you know, I think what I did was I actually put a little dot on one of the keys and then I remembered that I forgot which color dot I had done. So anyway, it was just this labor it was just this labor of having to remember which key is it, which key is it. And I found myself getting a little annoyed because I thought, you know, it'd be a whole lot better if there was just one key that would work for all the locks in the world instead of, <laughs> instead of 20 keys. Now, you think about it from that perspective. Why do, I, why do we have so many keys in the world? Why are there so many keys in the world? Because there's so many locks in the world, right? And the people who put the locks together are the ones who get to decide what the keys are. Now, I might be a little ignorant about which key goes in which lock. So ignorance can account for some of my dilemma, right? But what if I knew which key went into that lock? And then I refused to believe that that key would work because, by golly, all these other keys should work in that same lock. That's not ignorance, is it? It's stupid, but <laughs> it's also arrogant. It's also arrogant. The one who made the lock gets to decide what key goes in it. What's my point? What's the point? Who made heaven? So who gets to decide what key goes and gets you into heaven? God does. And the thing is, he did it as an act of love. See, God is not indifferent to us, to our plight. Our plight is that we're sinful and we're imperfect and we're broken and all of that goes against us when we try to have a connection or a relationship with a perfect God, much less spend eternity with him. So see, he's not unaware of the dilemma, but what he does is he says, the way that I will express my love to you is I will give you the key to eternity and I won't keep it a secret. It's not like you have to like spend your whole life trying to discern, oh, what is, what is the key? How do I get in there? What, how do I remember which one it is? You don't have to do that. It's just simply Jesus. He's the key. See? Isn't that, isn't that kind of neat? And so it, it, it just occurred to me that most of the dilemma or most of the problem with people grappling with how much God loves them, most of the problem is here. It's here. 
that in my pride or in my arrogance or in my intellectual capacity or whatever it is that I think I can do that will somehow make sense of it, it really is quite simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There it is. I don't have to be real smart to figure to get that one. Yeah. Uh, back to Keith's point about uh, Moses not being able to look upon God. I think a, a point that we sometimes forget is God cannot tolerate and cannot coexist with sin or evil or any. Because God is perfect, He can't be God and tolerate sin. So He did have a dilemma. Yeah. But. He answered, he, he satisfied the dilemma by sending his perfect son to take our place. So we're covered by that. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question, why didn't he just save everybody? The people that choose not to be covered by the blood of Christ are, are sinful in God's eyes. So he cannot accept that. Yeah, and that's part of what Bob had brought up last time with respect to the goodness of God. That the goodness of God is really tied to the fact that he is a just God. The Bible presents God as the loving father and as the just judge. It's a, it's a two-pronged deal, right? Two sides of the same coin. And so where the loving father might say, well, I'll just overlook sin. The just judge can't do that, see? And so what does the loving father do? The loving father says, well, here's the answer to the dilemma that I, as God, have. That answer is what? I will send my son, who's perfect, not born in sin like everybody else. He lives a perfect life, unlike the rest of us. And then his life gets sacrificed on the cross as the payment, as the atonement, as the, the price of redemption for us. And then God raises him up on the third day, thereby signifying that the payment is full, it, that is paid in full, that there's, there's no more payment needed. And so... And so he just simply says, that's the key. And then he says, well, here, take the key. The key is yours. You don't have to, like, do a bunch of things in your life in order for you to earn the key. And yes, I do have the capacity to say, no, thank you. No, thank you. I will continue to stand at the door and I will try these other keys because I just know that these other keys are better than the key that you gave me. Okay. See, God says, okay, do that. And I'll be there waiting for you when you figure out that one isn't going to work so well. God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't stop offering that to us every day. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's kind of, a, kind of a cool analogy. So the next time you're going through your key ring and you're thinking, why am I have all these keys? Well, now you at least have a, a way to apply it. Thoughts? Yeah, Richard. Um, there was a song that was a hit in the 80s, and it says, everybody wants to rule the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the other part of the dilemma about picking the key. Yeah. I want to pick, I want to pick the key. That's correct, yeah. And that's, you know, God is sovereign. Did they actually have music in the 80s? I just, uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of lost me on that part, you know, from then. After 1970, there wasn't any more music after that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but no, but that isn't that the, uh, I can say that in this group. We all sort of get that. Uh, but uh, that is the deal, isn't it? 
See, it kind of comes down to, am I going to take what is offered in the way that God chooses to offer it? And that's the rub. Because there's a part of us that kind of wants to name our own terms on that. And to some degree, it, it makes like total logical sense to do that. I mean, it's way more logical to think in terms of that the goodness of my life and what I do with it and, and, and how I live it and the good I do for others and all those things which are wonderful things in the world. And we, we, our neighbor needs them and we need to do it for our neighbor. That's the goodness of it. But there's just this, this part of us that thinks that that ought to count when it comes to uh, comes to heaven. And the problem is, is that if that, if I hold on to that belief, then what I'm doing is I'm adding another key. And I'm saying that the key that he gave me in Jesus isn't enough. Now, e even though that makes sense humanly, it also adds an element of doubt to one's life. Because if it's all about what you did or what you've done, how do you ever know if you've done enough? And how do you know if the enough you've done was good enough? And not good enough to your own standards, but good enough to God's standards. How do you know? And do you really want to base the security eternally of your life on that? See, that's the dilemma. Okay? That's the dilemma. And so that's why the gift is so much more secure than the doing. Yeah, Dennis. One other aspect of that. Some people don't even want to go through that door. And that's the scary part. Yeah, it's kind of it's puzzling, isn't it? Yeah, kind of puzzling. I, I suspect, though, that when we get pretty close to our own end, we might kind of be thinking about that door maybe more than we did at other points of life. Yeah, you hope so. Yeah. Did you get to see your mom? <laughs> so what I've learned No, no. What I've learned is there are certain optimal times to show up. And sometimes that does not involve a face-to-face -face personal visit, and sometimes it does. So you can run with that however you want. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes I just want to roll in, do a quick survey, you know, and then roll out. Sometimes I want to do that. And other times I am prevented from that. So, you know, <laughs> kind of how that works. Yeah, Try, you know, I do just enough to stay on the good son list. I mean, yeah, yeah let's face it, there is that list. And so, uh, you know, many of you probably can relate in some way to that, okay? And maybe not. Yeah, oh. If she listens to your podcast, she's going to know the trick about the ladder. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Yeah, that's a good point. Probably I'll have to change my strategy just a little bit here, yeah. Or have it edited out. Oh, Phil, <laughs> Phil, 
<laughs> Phil, if you could just put that little gap in there, that would be really great. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Somebody else. Oh, yeah, Kathy. You know, listening to the context of everything you've said, I, I, I'm good. I get it. But where I struggle when people that are not Christians ask me about like, children and illness, young people. Yeah, I know. I, 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 that's when I, you know, it's okay to say the key, but when you have a baby or a child or I, I don't have an answer. I mean, I, I, I will probably say something like, I believe God welcomes them to the kingdom, but I don't know that I have theology beyond that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, but it, it's one of those things that's a really hard answer, hard question when I'm asked. So what we, and that's, that's like the ultimate hard question of all questions. Good, I'm glad to know that, but I mean. You no, it is. It, it is. I, I, I get that question too, and and, and when that question is posed is that's where, again, we turn to the fact that God is still a merciful God. Well, that's what I do. I mean, yeah, we I, do. I, it's one of those things I just say, you know, and then, uh, but I'm okay with the mystery, mystery side because yeah. I was raised Catholic. We that's have right. a lot of mysteries. Yeah, so you guys are mysterious uh, people. That's so true. I just kind of say, well, I, it's really it's what keeps me going sometimes. Yeah. You know, I don't understand, but I don't that's have right. to understand God's that's mystery. Right. So that's the, my the, the greater, I think the greater reassurance is when we know that that child was the child of Christian parents or grandparents where then that meant that the word was in the presence of that child, even in the womb. So we're even talking about womb aspects as well as, um, as well as birth aspects. And so we don't, because of that, we don't worry about the debate over when does the child in the womb become a person? When does the soul added to the person? You know, we don't worry about that. We just say that where the word is, there the spirit is. And where the spirit is, there God is in his love and mercy, extending the gifts of that spirit to, to that child. I think what, what is of greater troubling for us is when you have a child of non-Christian parents and, and not even people that are not seeking God. It's not that. But when there is a, a uh, sincere desire on the part of the parent to never expose that child to anything that has anything to do with God's word, I think that's what gives us a little bit more heartache. That gives us a little bit more, um, less assurance, I suppose. But at the, I guess at the end of the day, God may choose to even in that situation to say, I'm going to bring that child into my kingdom in heaven. It may well be. Okay. What we always have to be careful of in our humanness is to give definitive answers about things that the scriptures do not address where the scripture doesn't say every child born into the world or every child in the womb is automatically saved or automatically damned. It does, the Bible doesn't talk about that. So we leave that into the mercies of God. That's where we leave it. But that doesn't stop us from wondering about it. Okay? Yeah, Max. Well, uh, hell wasn't created for us anyway. Hell was created for Satan and the fallen angels. The devil and his angels, yeah, sure. Where we weren't supposed to be there from the beginning of creation. So the Lord knew our souls in heaven before we came to earth, you know, in our earthly bodies. And 
and love this. And he, and because of that, he's like a parent. He doesn't want to lose anyone. Right. And he's very patient right now with the world because yeah. Because he wants each person, no matter what bad deed they've created, to come back to him. Like yeah. they're saying. Just like the prodigal son story. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. Uh, we just have to know he has that mercy and mm-hmm. in, in infinite love. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Good. Oh, shall we get to our lesson for today? Shall we do that? <laughs> All right. Very good. All right. So let's get into uh, John 3. We're at, in John uh, 3, 22 and uh, following. So after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So this is before John gets hauled off into prison by Herod, and we'll see that later but right now, John is still doing the baptisms and, and preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah, even though the Messiah is already here, right? So that's the point that's being, being raised. So I looked up that uh, place called Anon, and that was an oasis where there were many springs. So, I, you know, it's kind of interesting sometimes, and I, I think I sometimes have this picture in my head that, that what that area looks like over there is like West Texas, where it's just dry and arid, but actually... There are many places apparently where, where springs come up bubbling out of the rock and out of the, uh, out of the terrain. Some of you have been there. Have you, have you seen this? Is this, is, okay, yeah, oh, Carl, so this is true? Well, uh, yeah, the, the area of the, of, the, uh, of the Judean countryside. Yeah. You said like West Texas? Yeah. West Texas is an oasis. Yeah. <laughs> there is nothing there. We saw sheep trying to find grass out there, and I don't know what they were eating. Well, when I, I guess when I say West Texas, I'm thinking of Middle and Odessa, and I'm thinking, we've driven through there, but you're saying that that still is like... It's just chalk hills. I mean, chalk hills. It looks like chalk. There's nothing on it. Okay. Well, apparently there's a lot under it, because that's what... Uh, there's a picture of the pastor showing you. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll pay attention next time he does that. That'll be excellent. All right, well, let's go to verse 25 and following. Now, here we get it. So here we get into another dilemma, another conflict, if you will. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan... To whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and what? Everybody's going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So the story starts or the account starts with the fact that there was this dispute between John's disciples and a Jewish guy that was there over the rites of purification. And John doesn't go into any detail as to what that is, but one would assume that what it had something to do with was how particular were John's disciples 
following the rituals of purification that getting your hand uh, how far into the water and then pulling your hands up like that and how much was poured over your hand and then how you dried your hands. It was stuff like that. And we kind of ran into a little bit of that or talked a little bit about that when Jesus was at the, at Cana for the wedding, remember the big uh, jar, that was, that's why there was so much water because they would pour it over the hands and feet. And that would be the way that they would demonstrate purification. But what's interesting is that isn't what the big fight was. The big fight was over something else where John's disciples go to John and they say, this person that you said you bore witness to and that you baptized in the Jordan, now he and his disciples are, are uh, attracting people to them. And notice how they say it. And all are going to him. What's really going on there? Turf war, <laughs> right? What they're aware of is that the popularity of Jesus and what he's all about is now beginning to increase and affect the popularity numbers that John and his disciples were experiencing before. So what's the point? Do we in the church, or maybe I should ask it this way, in what ways are we in the church susceptible to falling into some of the same kind of stuff that John's disciples were falling into, lest we get too uppity and think, oh, those terrible disciples, that they were all about numbers. It, could that happen to Messiah Lutheran Church or any uh, Christian organization for that matter? Common complaints in the church often are tied to numbers. And anybody that has ever spent any time at all in church life, particularly organized religion part of church, which I know annoys a certain segment of the population, will discover this. Okay, so I put some of them down on your uh, on your outline guide. Um, comparisons that are often made are uh, the numbers of worship attendance, baptisms, finances. Okay, I see a few smiling faces here. And by the way, it, it is not limited to large churches. Okay, if you've ever been in a small church uh, that maybe is struggling a little bit with its own survival, like are we even going to be around in five years kind of idea, that oftentimes is something that can, uh, can happen. Another point of comparison that sometimes people make uh, and sometimes uh, uh, rolls into some kind of turf thing is how dynamic things are at the church, how dynamic the preacher is, right? how dynamic the youth group is, how dynamic the music program is, how dynamic the ministry for, for women or for men or for other people is. And then another point of common comparison in churches is the survival of cherished traditions or ministries over time. Now, this is normal for people in church life to get caught up in. How would you know if you were starting to be affected, affected negatively by it. Because see, that's what's going on with John's disciples. They're looking at their ministry and they're looking at Jesus's ministry and they're concluding that because Jesus's ministry is attracting more people than they are, there must be something wrong. 
and they're getting hooked and sliding into a comparison that's creating some resentment toward the success of somebody else compared to perhaps the demise of themselves. Yes. I was thinking more jealousy. Jealousy. Okay. That they were, um, you know, say, okay, all these people have gone over here instead mm -hmm. of coming to us. Yes. And so our numbers have dropped. That's right. Yes. So how would you know, would jealousy be one of the ways that you would know that you were starting to slide into that in a bad way? Would that be one way that you could tell? Okay, some other, uh, uh, some other possibilities that I put on your, uh, your outline is you start to overfocus on the numbers. Now, here's kind of how, when I first started in ministry, serving a very small church in Missouri, when I got there, they were worshiping 35. So very small. It was one where, you know, uh, you know everybody and, they, and everybody knows you, and then everybody knows about you. That's how that was, okay? Only I was new, so I didn't know about anybody. That was the problem with that, right? But so what happens in a very small place or just in a place where you start to feel susceptible to this is that you become over-focused on how many people aren't there. You ever had that happen? Where all of a sudden you're not thinking so much about everybody that is there and celebrating who is there, right? Because you become, you become very focused and thinking more about who isn't there and how many aren't there, all right? Another uh, sign of that perhaps is that you start to give credit or blame to one person. Now, in John's case, who are they blaming? With John's disciples, who are they blaming? Jesus. Jesus. The, yeah. And, and there may be a little bit of this blame toward John as well, but it doesn't show up in such a, an overt way. They might be saying about John, you know, John, if you would make your preaching a little bit more relevant... If you would maybe try a little harder to not just wear, uh, wear uh, animal skins all the time, but, you know, kind of kind of spurt yourself up a little bit. You know, you can almost see that there's, so there's sort of this sense of that John is lacking and Jesus is not. And so if he would just kind of get his act together a little bit better, maybe the numbers would improve and we could kind of turn this thing around. Another one is expecting that entity... If it's a church, we can use that example. Expecting the entity to meet your needs or what? Or you'll go elsewhere. You ever had that thought before? Let's see how it might uh, show up. I am just not getting anything out of those sermons. But you know, I was listening online to this preacher who was just awesome. What does that possibly open the door for? A little comparison, doesn't it? Yeah. What about this one? Comparison the, the weaknesses of that church to the strengths of another church. Sometimes what happens when a smaller church is in the same town as a larger church, what can happen is, is that you start comparing your facility and your program and what you have to offer to that other place and become very focused on what you're not doing well compared to what they are doing well. Easy to do. 
What about taking too much pride in ownership? Whose ministry was John's? And there, by extension, John's disciples. Whose ministry was it? Jesus's. Who called John to be the preacher? Who called him to be the forerunner? Who called him to go out and baptize people to repentance? Jesus did. God did. Sometimes we forget that. And we take on too much ownership of that ministry and we say, well, this is my church. We invest ourselves so much in it that we forget whose it actually is. And in the case of John and his disciples, it was very clear from day one that John knew exactly what his role would be, and he never departed from it. That could not be said of his disciples. His disciples kept confusing whose ministry it is and maybe perhaps taking on a little bit too much ownership of it. Okay? Uh, another indication, perhaps, that you're starting to lean into comparing in a kind of a negative way, perhaps, is that you hear yourself say, if only we had, and then fill in the blank. If only we had. See, what that does is, yes, on the one hand, it, I, I, I can be... Um, I can be looking to the future and dreaming of the future and saying, oh, the future has this out there for me. But sometimes what happens is we diminish what is possible in the present because we keep thinking that if only we had the thing that we think will do it in the future, then we can do it. So it's kind of like that idea of what happens when uh, you say, if only I could win the lottery, boy, then I could do some great things for Jesus. Man, I could give that percentage to the church, to God's work through, the, through missions or whatever. I could, like, devote myself because I wouldn't ever have to work for a living ever again. And I could be the super volunteer at the church. I would be up there 24-7. Ooh, yeah, who said that? <laughs> okay, don't play the lottery, please. All right. But see, that's what, what, isn't that what we do? We say, oh, if only... And then what we do is we diminish the opportunity that we have right now. And maybe even just chop it right off and we say, well, I couldn't possibly do it now. As opposed to doing it then. And then finally, sometimes, and this is what was happening with John and his disciples. Attaching too much importance on the personality of the leader and what he or she does for you. And then finding fault with somebody that isn't quite like him or her. Have any of you ever followed somebody that was famous and really good at something? And then you sort of had to be who you were and do it the way you do it. And then you sort of had to deal with the uh, comparisons that would come your way. Anybody? Is that, is that a rare ex experience for you? Oh, okay. I guess I'm the only one. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So what is John's response? See, John is, John is very clear. He knows, he knows what he's about. He knows whose ministry this is. And he is not going to allow himself to get drawn into this sort of jealous kind of turf kind of thing that where he starts saying, well, you know what? You guys are right. I don't know what's going on. Where he starts feeling bad about himself and about his own ministry and how he's doing it. Or that he starts to resent the success that Jesus is having and his disciples. What, is John, what does John say? What's his response? I love this. 
What's he say? Anything that you receive in life, you don't have unless what? Comes from heaven. So see, already he's, he's, he's positing the reality that we are needy and we stand there like this. And anything we have, any, any success, any, any numbers, any, any adulation that you get, any, any rewards that you get for what you do, comes from God. Oh, that's a nice starting place. Then he says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ. See, he didn't say that just like one time. He had to keep saying it again and again and again. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. And he probably said it as much for them as he would be for his own ego as well. Because when you're in ministry of a high profile nature, it's very easy to start to believe everything people say about you particularly when they say that you're a good person at what you do. So I used to have this in my office. I forgot what happened to it. I think I wore it out. It was this picture of, uh, and I kept it in my closet so nobody could see it but me. Now I just put it out on the front door, right? But it, uh, what it was was a picture of a golden retriever looking in my direction, and, and this was way before we had Triton. I should take Triton's picture and put it right up there now. Okay. Anyway, what it says on there, or what it said on there was, don't mistake in your dog's admiration for how wonderful you are. <laughs> Isn't that nice? That's per- that is perfect for somebody who does a lot of public stuff. And for the, for the most part, people say... Oh, you are so wonderful. Oh, I couldn't have got through this without you. Oh, you changed my life. And then might even look perhaps at my wife and say, isn't he wonderful? Isn't, is he like that all the time? Right? Okay. So see, what, what, where's the check and the balance going to come on that person? In this case, me. Right here. I got to remind myself, and we have to remind each other, right? (laughs) Thank you. That's a good point right there. Yes. And sometimes on the way home. So it's really kind of whenever I need it. Yes. Did I, was that good right there? That was good. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, Yes. I'm a little confused. Okay. Confused. On, On the comparison. On the comparison part. I don't see that comparisons sometimes are so bad. Right. That if you are in a church and you feel that it's not really the place for you, that it's not really what it can do for you, Mm -hmm. that what is wrong with going and trying out in that church? Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Boy, you're kind of calling me out on that one, aren't you? Okay, I... So here's what I would say. Okay, let me answer, and then you can answer me, okay? And we have about two minutes, so it's perfect timing here. Yeah. No, no, I'm just teasing. Okay. All right. So what I would say is let's look at what are your motives. Because I want to look first at my heart and ask the question, what's driving me on that? I at least have to ask that question, okay? 
So what would be a, what's one motive for doing that, for taking that approach? Well, I don't know, but growing up Catholic. Okay. You're in your in, in a big city. Growing up Catholic in a big city, big parish probably. You are, you are yeah. A large parish. Okay. You are in your parish boundaries. Yes. And you don't question anything. Right. That that is your church, and you go to that church for your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are so many things that you're taught at that time. You don't even set foot into another kind of church. Oh, probably church not. Another, even another Catholic church, he wouldn't. Well, no, you put it in Catholic. Church, okay, but certainly not but, one but of those you're not Lutherans. Going to transfer to that church. Oh, you okay. You stay within the boundaries mm -hmm. of the church. Okay, there you go. And you kind of. It's kind of a brainwashing where you don't really, you can't think about it, mm -hmm. that, I don't quite know how to put it, yeah. that you don't have an opportunity to look for something better. And it, would it occur to you, or it wouldn't occur, it, would it occur to you to look for something else? Later. Later. Much later. Much later. Okay. Yes. Okay. And I can kind of think, well, golly, I wish I had... That Sooner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So again, it for, as I'm responding to you, I'm thinking, all right, let me. I got. I need to look at my motives. Okay. Are my motives purely self-centered in the sense that I'm only thinking about what I'm getting from it, and I'm not even thinking about what I'm giving to it? See, because there's a two-way deal there, right? I mean, if it's only about what a church can do for me, I don't know if that's necessarily wrong, but you, you can see the path that's going to take me down. So the path that, that can take me down, and it does for many people, is, is that I will stay with that church probably for about a year until my needs are no longer being met or the needs of my kids or the needs of my whatever it is are no longer being met. That's, that's just, that's the path that takes me down. And so the, the phenomena that occurs out of that and is occurring today in many people's lives is kind of the practice of church hopping. That's what we call it anyway. It said, I move from place to place in a crass way, it's sort of like saying, I'm looking for the best deal. The problem is, is there anything of substance going on in terms of a transformative life in Jesus and that kind of thing? Okay? Maybe I'm not giving myself that opportunity because I'm just looking for stuff on the surface, and that's all that there is for me. Okay? So I... I <laughs> I can see where it kind of sounds like that I'm saying bad, bad, bad. I, and, and that's probably not what I really am trying to say. I think what I'm trying to say is, is check your motives. Just check your motives. And if, if you can honestly say after checking your motives that I am, I am participating in something in a giving way as well as a receiving way, and there is a good balance there. And there still isn't the feeding that I'm needing or looking for. Then I'm going to entertain the possibility of going someplace else. Okay. You've given it that honest look. 
which to me is a lot different than just kind of going from here to here to here and kind of looking for the best thing, which in my head kind of tends to be more self-centered and what it's doing for me than what I can do for it. So I'm dangling out here on the wire. Anybody want to respond? Yeah, John. Well, I, you know, actually, there is a small group called the Messiah Planning Team. Messiah Planning Team. About this comparison. We're actually looking. Oh, you guys talk about doing that right some now? benchmarking with other churches. Uh huh. But what you talked about, and, and actually, Phil was the, one of the instrumental young men that helped us on this. Instrumental young man. Motive? The motive isn't just to find out how many more people can we get to come to Messiah. Yeah. The motive is how can we better share God's life. Mm. And, and so whether they come here or not, and the truth, it's also about uh, using media. Yeah. In other words, if we're reaching people mm -hmm. and they're getting the word, that is the, our mission, that's our motive. Now, obviously, we want them to be here because there's fellowship, there's lots of other reasons. Yeah. But the issue, the motive is sharing God's word because that's what we are called mm -hmm. to do, yeah. is be disciples. Sure. And I've often thought, or I say this, that there are many Lutherans doing missionary work in other churches. That just because you go somewhere else, at least denominationally, I mean, maybe not individual church, but denominationally, you take your denominational roots with you. So even if you have a Lutheran who becomes a Catholic or becomes a Methodist or becomes a Baptist or becomes something else, non-denominational, it's just sort of like it's a hyphen thing, you know. I'm a Lutheran Baptist. I'm a Lutheran non-denominational. And you take that DNA with you. In the same way that those of you that were raised Catholic, you, you, you're not completely that. You didn't have a denominational exorcism when you became Lutherans, you know. That, no, that didn't happen. You, did, you brought that with you. That's part of that. That's, that's part of you. You can't, you can't, like, get rid of that, nor should you, Right? Because it's part of what brings that richness to the current experience. But there's no question, some churches are well equipped to address those things, and some churches absolutely won't go there. But before you go somewhere else, turn the mirror on yourself, not just turn the mirror slide, slide you know, sort of sideways, so that you're only looking at everybody else. Okay? Yeah. We had a couple other... Oh, Phil, and then... Back over here. Yeah. So a, a couple of quick comments. First one, dealing with leaving a church. Yeah. For me, like one of the, pretty much the only reason would be to examine the that church's theology or like if they're doing some sort of bad theology or doing a false teaching, yeah. you know, run, don't walk to the exit. Okay. You know, like. So theology, you would, you're looking at that for sure. That's pretty cool to hear somebody your age who cares about that, frankly. And, yeah. And if, and, and regarding like asking questions like what can what can I get out of the church mm -hmm. or what can I give to the church? Yeah, um, it's a way of being like I guess one phrase would be be the change you want to see mm -hmm. in the church. So if there's something that the church is lacking, yeah, then be that driving force to help usher in mm -hmm. that what you what you would like to see in that church. Yeah. And, and like scratch your own itch in a way. Yeah. And one example is this podcast mm -hmm. that we do yeah. is, is one way for me to serve mm -hmm. the church and, and give out uh, to anyone that wants to listen. Yeah, you guys have no idea how long he nagged me until we finally did this. 
and not nag in a good way, you know, cheerleading and you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you know, so we've had this sort of ongoing, you must have had a fantastic confirmation teacher in your life. There must have, to have instilled these sort of deep sort of uh, things in your life. Very good. Isn't it refreshing? Isn't it refreshing to hear someone articulate his faith that way, given, you know, how young and influential, I think that was the word that was used, that you are. That's awesome, Phil. Awesome, Phil. Yeah, good deal. Uh, yes. Well, he already covered it. Oh, in did? terms of the theology, if there's something under, the word isn't being preached, yeah. that's a reason to leave. Yeah, and, and again, part of it is, part of it is, part of it is um, discerning at that level. Which I hope that we have more of that, you know, in, in our world, especially among, you know, younger. It's sometimes it's hard to sort of see if that's the case. But I think given the number of people um, that are searching today, I think there really is more of an opening than we think. Uh, that, that people are seeking more than we think. We, sometimes we think, and I know I react to this too, oh, they're just rejecting us. I don't think so. I, I, I think if we take the viewpoint that what sounds like rejection is actually searching, is actually seeking, that there might be opportunity to, to go to a different level to talk about some of these things that are really significant. And that's kind of what I'm kind of always am hoping that our podcast will be doing. Okay. Yeah. Richard, one more. And then, well, one more and then we have to quit because I got to go to work after this. So, well, I wish I could remember exactly where it is, but somewhere there's a devotion book I did, um, Tony Evans. One of the things that he really clearly articulated there is we each have a potential. Mm -hmm. Each have a potential. That's kind of Tony Evans sort of way of describing things. And God has a mission for us. Mm -hmm. You know, in a way, Phil saw your potential for the podcast. <laughs> he just had to move you to that time period where you could Oh, that's a very interesting way of saying that. Yeah. Yes. So we all have potential. And I think God makes us a little nervous or anxious maybe when we're not living up to our potential. Sure. Where there's something that, you know, mm -hmm. It's time to move, yeah. if you will, yeah. to a place where mm -hmm. God can use you. And that, that often can be after you've sort of looked at your own sort of self in that sense. So checking, your, checking those motives is to realize, and, and God has a way of kind of nudging and inching and that sort of thing, which again is different from saying that it's all about whatever the program is that that church offers, and then I'm going over there because they got more going on there than they have here. See, it, that always plays so poorly if you say that. That just doesn't sound that, that great. But to actually look at it a little bit deeper and say, is there, is there something else going on that maybe, okay, maybe God is moving you. But let's ask the question, is it God moving you or is there something else? Is it more about you? And I think if there's an honesty about and a, and a uh, transparency, a vulnerability uh, that we would have that conversation, that's way better if you're going to go ahead and make that move than if you just leave in the dead of night and not let anybody know that you left. And that sometimes happens too, is that we have people who have done that. They've left and gone somewhere and they're worshiping somewhere else and maybe even moved away or something. And we don't find out. 
And so that sometimes is our dilemma as well. Okay, time to close off our, our session. I've got late service today. I always sort of jokingly say, this is playtime for me, and that's work for that over there. Okay, so let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we have spent together thinking about the greatness of your love. It, love is such one of those things that we all yearn for and, and we all need so much, and yet it sometimes is hard to accept it. It's really hard to, to, to trust in that love and, and because that's mostly in our human experience. When we grapple with your love, Lord, we're, we're told in your word for, for you to so love the world that you gave Jesus to be our Savior. Help us grapple with that, Lord, and help us be able to connect to people in the world who also have a hard time with that, with that love. Help us be the, the love that you are. Help us to do that with each other and with those around us so that they can see in a very small, imperfect way the love that you have for us as we have for you and each other. Watch over us this week. Be with us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.